running just a tad behind tonight. Had to work a little late. But we've arrived. The revelation of Jesus Christ, part 22. Verse 14, his head, Revelation chapter 1, verse 14. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. White like wool. White as snow. John, he's on the Isle of Patmos in the spirit. He hears a voice uh, behind him. He turns to see the voice. Now, he didn't turn and see a six-foot, blue-eyed, brown-haired, beautiful-faced Jesus, an American Jesus. He saw a, well, one likened it to the Son of Man. He goes into the description. He saw a multifaceted description of one who transcended any natural man. His garment, his head, his hair, his eyes, his feet, his voice. Each of these is a unique aspect of the revelation of Jesus Christ. This revelation of Jesus Christ will produce an unveiling of all His wonderful attributes and powers in the midst of all who receive it. Now, the purpose of this vision, this revelation, this thing that that John saw, is not to give us a picture of the physical appearance of the resurrected Christ in heaven, but to show to us the glory of His unveiling in the midst of us. Where is His revealing type place? Well, it pleased God to reveal His Son in me. He's in the midst of the church. The seven candlestick. This, this message of this book is more than just information. It's to lead you to the unveiling of Christ within you. I mean, that's, that was the mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now the head, remember this is a book of symbols. The head represents authority and white speaks of purity and righteousness. Christ's authority in our lives must be pure. And we're growing up into Him who is the head. Now again, it's a book of symbols. In, in the natural, white hair is a sign of getting old. If, you could, if I had more, you could see it. It's a sign of getting old. Uh, this isn't a picture of Jesus as an old man, you know, like in the Sistine Chapel where, he's, where they show God and he's an old man and a big white beard and all of that. 
this white hair takes us back into olden times, even uh, in, in England and places like this, but it predated that. The, the judges wore white wigs. And it was a symbol or a sign of wisdom and maturity. When they went to do their government business, they wore the white wigs. You, you even look in our country, you go back and look, those pictures of those men, they, they had their white wigs on. Now, the way you become a judge was to be skilled in the law and, and justice and, and be tempered with mercy and compassion with years of experience. John beheld one who is the sum total of all wisdom and knowledge. I mean, he is wisdom. He's, I mean, John is beholding the all-wise one, the one who speaks out of the maturity of the ages. He saw the judge of all judges in the midst of the churches, the one who says, before Abraham was, I am. Now, we are to share in his stature, in his wisdom, in his understanding. He's made unto us all of these things. As he is, so are we in this world. In that judgment, as we grow up into the fullness of the mind of Christ. White hair is symbolic of omniscience, all-knowing. It's, it's the crown of spiritual Wisdom gained through the trial of experience and testing. Scriptures teach us that the hoary head is to be greatly honored. For therein lies the wisdom, experience, and discernment that comes with age. And that experience, the experience I'm talking about, is gained by walking with God. Let me give you a verse here. Uh, 1 Peter, chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, Peter's writing, he says to the beloved, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. My goodness, how many Christians today think if something bad happens, they're out of the will of God. God is punishing them or, or whatever. Uh, I mean, I've heard so many different things. God has left them. God has abandoned them, uh, whatever. Peter says, don't think it's strange this is not an odd thing concerning the fiery trial which is to try you though some strange thing as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings that when His glory shall be revealed ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Now, where's this glory revealed? In you. Because Christ is the glory. Where is Christ? Christ is in you. See, it's a growing up into Him. And we, but first, there, we're sharers in His sufferings. That when His glory shall be revealed, you may be glad with exceeding joy. 
If you be reproached for, well, we'll, we'll quit with that one, that you'd be glad with exceeding joy. Jesus, in, in the book of Hebrews, he was tempted in all points as we are. And then it says he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. He learned obedience by the things that, that he suffered. He grew in favor with God. Does that mean he was out of favor with God and had to grow into it? No, it was in proportion. Uh, the favor that he had was in proportion with how he grew in God, his maturity. There's a great difference between the glory of the first man, Adam, and the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. There was a glory in the old. We can read that in 2 Corinthians 3. Now listen to this. Adam's name means uh, redness of face, red face. And Christ uh, is whiteness of head. Redness of face. Let, let me explain. Um, in the scriptures, the blood always stands for the life. Life is in the blood. Uh, a person's name uh, always stands for his nature. Well, it was God, they asked God, uh, who shall I tell him you are? I am that I am. That's his nature. Jehovah, nature, I am. Now, the face... Speaks of the deepest part of a man's being. That's where everything, that, the, all the communications comes out. The eyes and, and, the, and the mouth and, and the words and the expressions. And all of that is, is what we would call the heart. Here is where, you know, this comes out here. Or, or, the, or the nature. In the beginning, we have a man named Adam which means to show blood in the face. He's red. You know, Esau, red. It speaks of being red-faced. Uh, what happens when somebody gets embarrassed or, you know, they're blushing? Their, their face turns red. So the inward nature of the blood or the soul is revealed through the face. Okay? You know, there are times in the Scriptures that you wouldn't be found naked He's not talking about somebody's going to come and strip you off of all your clothes. That, that what's on the inside comes out. Comes out in your face. So you can see why Adam turned so quickly to believe the lie. He, he turned to darkness. I mean, quickly. I don't know how long it was there, but it was, you know, pretty quick. Within his being was the desire to cling to his life, to exalt himself. So he is seen as retaining the blood which represents his soul or his self-life. And sin and the, and the fall was the natural result of this condition. I mean, we see it today. People will absolutely cling to their life. I was thinking about this today, how when Jesus hung on the cross, his feet were nailed. He never even pushed up one time to take a breath. He was giving, laying down his life. He didn't, for one moment, try to retain his life. And that's all we do is try to retain our life. But you see, the glorified Christ is, is always depicted as white. Hair white as snow. Head as white as snow. Uh, 
garments uh, white as snow. Everything white. Why? Because his life is poured out. It's, it's released by means of his death. Now here is truth. Blood retained is Adam. And it's therefore death. Blood poured out is Christ. Is Christ. I, I didn't say spilled. I said poured out. And is therefore life. Paul says to be carnally minded or self-minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. What I mean, do you see one tries to retain, one gives. He gives us of himself freely. White, purity, giving, not withholding anything. See, that was part of the lie. The lie came to Adam and says, God is withholding from you. He's not freely given. He's, he's afraid that you'll take his place and you'll be God's. And you won't, you know, he, he's, he's trying to keep you down. I got a, a verse here, Luke 9.24. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. Now this Poured out life of Christ is the river of life flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Flowing out. Ever giving. The Lamb as it had been slain. Jesus released His life and, and the Father pours forth that eternal Spirit into the hearts of all who believe. Now, while Jesus walked the shores of Galilee uh, 2,000 years ago. He alone had divine eternal life. He, he, he's it. He says, I'm, I'm the life. Everybody else was spiritually dead. Everybody. Paul, Peter, John, all. They had all been dead. He alone because he was life. And that life was in his blood. Not, not the... Blood of Adam's self, but divine blood of the quickening Spirit of God. And that blood was confined to Him, Jesus. There was no other manifest sons of God. He was it. Nobody else called God Father. They had ever. He come to manifest Him as Father. He was the firstborn of a new race of men, the last Adam. A race of men that would be joined to God, the firstborn among many brethren. Now, if Jesus had retained his own blood, if he had retained it, and I, I got to get you this verse right here. It's in, in John Let me give you a couple verses. John chapter 10. 
Therefore doeth my, verse 17, Therefore doeth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me. Listen to what he says. No, see, there's been, I mean, soon as Cain, you know, he slew Abel. There's been murders. There's been taking of lives. But this one, he didn't try to, try to retain his life. And he said, nobody can take my life. No, and he says, no man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. This one became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He said, I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it up again. This commandment have I received of my Father. If Jesus had retained his own blood, as Adam did, if he had clung to his own life, his own will, rather than being obedient unto death, the, the gates of the kingdom of heaven would still be closed and the river of life would be dry as a desert. But it's open. Look, John, a door in heaven is open. He's open and none can shut. Jesus knew as long, I mean, what did he say? I come that you might have life and that more abundant. Right there in John chapter 10. How was he who is life going to share his life if his life is in his blood except he freely give of himself? They pierced his side, outflowed. Blood and water from the throne, his very heart. Jesus knew as long as he, as his life blood still flowed in his veins, all the rest of humanity, they would remain dead in trespasses and sins. So he poured out his life, giving him whiteness of face. And we, as we realize the cross, crucified with him, out of, out of our bellies, out of your bellies, flow what? His life. Rivers of what? Living water. The same way it's a giving, it's a pouring forth to those who are thirsty. The spirit and the bride say, come and drink. You that have no money, come and drink freely. Out of your belly shall flow. We stand identified in this glorious Son of Man as the life-giving sons of God. In thee, uh, you know, shall all families of the earth be blessed. In thee, he was talking about the seed. He was talking about Christ. But now Christ has become many-membered body, this corporate Son of Man. So out of us flow rivers of living water. I hope you can see, see that, that picture there. Now it says his eyes were like a flame of fire. John's attention was drawn to his eyes like a flame of fire. The, the spirit within this son of man, one likened unto a son of man, was so aroused that it shone through his eyes. Now, the eyes of this Son of Man are completely different from all other eyes. Completely different. The eyes of every living creature on the earth 
are only capable of receiving light. That's what the eye does. It receives light. We receive reflections and images of, of things that, that are without. But the eyes of the Lord not only receive reflections of things without, but are lamps of fire. The eyes like flames of fire. They're lamps here. Shedding abroad the light of God, whithersoever they're turned, wherever they turned. Light. And everything, every creature upon which his eyes shall fall will receive the light of God. Psalm 35, 4. They looked upon him and were lightened. And their faces were not ashamed. They didn't blush. Right? Redness of face. Blush. Psalm 34, 5. They looked upon him. And were lightened. And their faces were not ashamed. Even in the hour of Christ's greatest humiliation. When Peter denied his Lord. You remember we, had, we talked about that scene. Where they have him, Jesus up on like the balcony. Where they're interrogating him. Interrogating him. And, and John and Peter are down here warming themselves by the fire. They call upon the witnesses, you know, call upon the witnesses, ask those. He's calling for John and Peter to, to testify on his behalf, you know, because their custom was they couldn't uh, try a man without witnesses. And when Jesus called for the witnesses, he was calling for Peter and John. They denied him. Peter denied him with an oath. He cursed. I never knew the man. And the Lord turned and looked upon him. Looked at him. Well, I want these eyes of fire here. These flame of fire. The, the light of truth had come to this trembling, heartbroken man. When those eyes met Peter, it broke him. These, these are the eyes. Of, I mean, what a picture here. And, and Peter, now he sees, I mean, truth has come. He's been enlightened to the truth and to the knowledge of what? His guilt. The scripture says he went out and wept bitterly. I mean, Jesus knew this was coming. He told Peter, Satan has desired you to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you. And when you're converted, strengthen your brother. Those eyes of fire and that weeping bitterly was the conversion of Peter. Eyes of flame of fire. Now, a lot of people, they don't like that. Um, and the day is coming and is near at hand when Christ shall be the light of the world in the fullness of his meaning. Yes, he's light. But I'm talking in the fullness of his meaning, the kingdom going forth. I know it's going forth now. His eyes run to and fro through the whole world. And wherever he looks, the light of heaven shall shine. Bringing heaven to earth. Everybody wants to go to heaven. The whole thing was he made man here and says, you have dominion. And pray what? Thy kingdom come. That the kingdom of heaven come. Bring that here. 
This one who has the eyes as a flame of fire is he who comes to judge and make war. Now listen to me here. This one who has eyes of a flame of fire is he who comes to judge and make war. He stands in the midst of the seven churches with his eyes of fire. He stands within the spirit of each one of us with blazing eyes to judge rightly. He must see through and through and search all the depths beneath all the mass, penetrate all the darkness. I'm telling you, men have been blinded by the look of kings. And his eyes are a searchlight that penetrates to the inmost thought and intent of the heart. All the eyes of the Lord, the eyes of holiness, the eyes of infinite discernment, the eyes of depthless love, burning desire for good. They descend into the depths of the Spirit, which is what? The candle of the Lord. We've talked about that. To search out and to make known what is of the soul and what is of the Spirit. And they flash with their flame of sincerity and truth. What's the scripture say? The word of God is quick and powerful. That means it's living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and under the joints and the, and the marrow. He's talking about the deepest parts of our nature. Now, I want to tell you something here. We get this picture of Joshua leading Israel into the promised land. Moses got him up to the river Jordan. He looked over and he couldn't bring him in. So here's Joshua, the priest, or put the feet in the water. Joshua stands up into a, uh, it, the river Jordan stands up into a heap. They walk across dry ground. They walk into their inheritance. But what's the scriptures, what's it a picture of? Us coming into the promised land? Let me, let me go back uh, to Psalm 2 uh, a moment. And I just want to show you something here. Psalm 2. I love Psalm 2. Psalm 2 verse 8. Ask of me. And I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Now this was the father, we went over this so many times, the father talking to the son. The father says to the son, ask of me, and I'll give you the heathen for thine inheritance. Now who's the heathen? Well guys, that was us. All of us, dead in trespasses and sin. All of us. Come short of sin and come short of the glory of God. All of us. None sought after the Lord. All of us. So, I want you to get this picture that Joshua was a picture of Christ and his mighty army coming into his inheritance. You're his inheritance. Christ has came into you to judge and to make war just like they were a picture of them going into the land to dispossess the land to run all of the ites out. That's what we're going to find in this book of Revelation. 
And he's came into our land when the Son of Man comes marching into our land, into us. He comes with eyes that are shining, lamps of heavenly fire penetrating, illuminating mind and heart, revealing all that is there, destroying every selfish and secret motive, purifying the deepest intents of the heart, transforming and flooding the whole being with righteousness, holiness, love, and power. That's Him coming into us, the conquering King. He comes in. You know, we've said this before, he doesn't share. There's not room in you for two kings. He comes in to make war and destroy the king of self. The one who tries to retain because he's love and love ever has to give. It's his very nature to give of itself. So the other king, Paul summed it up. He said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and what gave himself to me. These eyes are the flame of fire. Some things in our lives are deeply hidden. But the eyes of the Lord are going to cause everything to come to the surface, to be brought out of the darkness. There's, there's nothing hid. Now, I know the people want secrets. I'm talking before the Lord here. All the dross is made to emerge. You remember uh, Fuller's uh, soap? You know, we talked about Malachi. Purify the gold. Gold tried it. Why do you think it's a strange thing for this fiery trial which is to try you? Now here's a question. Do we really want Christ to invade us through and through? Do we really want that? I remember dad talking one time with that Shulamite woman. When Elijah coming in, she built a little room on the side of the house. She'd invite him into the main place, and that's what we do. We bring the Lord into the back of the boat. We try to build a little room over here for him. We don't want him to go into the closets and bring out all the skeletons. Why is that? Jesus himself said, men love the darkness because their deeds are evil. I mean, do we really want him to come into our hearts to thoroughly touch every area of our lives? Well, let me tell you this. This book talks about the overcomer, but we will never conquer until we are conquered. I told you he comes in to judge and to make war. This king with eyes, this flame of fire. As we go through this book, I hope you can go back to these lessons and, and you'll see how they fit together as we go on. Christ, eyes of fire, and the eyes of fire of every son of God who shares his glory. He said, the glory I have, I give to you. We share in it as he is. So are we. We share in that glory are the eyes of the same fire that is revealed throughout this book. There aren't two fires or five different fires or ten different fires. They are his eyes of fire and, and there is gold that is tried in the fire. It's the very same fire. In, in uh, Revelation 8, now listen to this, Revelation 8. <clears throat> 
Chapter 2, And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar and having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. If you got any idea of the tabernacle and the layout, you know what's going on here. The golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hands. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings and an earthquake. Oh man, I tell you when he comes into the land, when he's invading the land, yeah. That same fire that releases the fragrance, that sweet smell, that sweet savor, and the power of the, of the prayers of the saints is cast into the earth realm and mighty commotions take place. Earthquakes, thunders, lightnings. Now listen, and by that fire, all carnality is consumed from the sons of men. That God may be glorified in the earth realm, even as in the heavenlies. The scripture says there is, uh, in Revelation 4 verse 5, And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings. And voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Seven lamps of fire before the throne. The lamp has seven eyes, and the seven eyes are the sevenfold spirit of God. They're, they're likewise the eyes of fire. You can see that in Revelation 5, 6. It's all the very same fire of God in different administrations. Okay, you get that? It's all the same fire of God in different administrations. There's a sea of glass mingled with, with fire in uh, Revelation uh, 15 too, And it was, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire. And then they had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name. Stand on the sea of glass having the harps of God. That's a people who have become within themselves an untroubled sea of peace. Because that's the contrast. You know, the, the sea, the waves, we see that in Jude, Jude like the troubled sea of foams and rages. But now it's, it's a picture of peace. My peace, Jesus said, I'll leave with you. A peace of God that passes understanding the very peace of God that allowed Jesus to sleep in the back of the boat in the middle of the storm. I'm talking the very, that's the miracle. This peace of God that passes understanding. I hope you can see this. A sea of glass mingled with fire. People who have become within themselves peace. Transparency. Made so by the processing fire of God. There's a fire that destroys mystery Babylon. That religious sham in Revelation 18.8. Therefore her plagues come in one day. Death and mourning, famine. She will be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. I told you he comes to judge and to make war. 
And where's he coming? He's coming into his land to destroy Mystery Babylon. My gosh, see, we, we like to think it's over there, it's out there, man, to think that he's... I told you, do you really want the Lord coming in to, to search out the very intents of your heart? God, who's quit His Word, quick, powerful, sharp, two-edged sword, dividing asunder, spirit, soul, joints, marrow. Oh, and that great lake of fire. I told you, it's all one fire. The great lake of fire for all the adversaries of God. The lake of fire. Now, boy, that's something right there, boy. All I know is you'll have to stick around for that one because I don't want to chase that rabbit tonight. But it's all the same fire. Now, this lake of fire, later the fire of God, the divine fire is truth and righteousness, love of God. It's, it's the nature of God. That's what this fire is. It's the nature of God. Truth, righteousness, love. Now, fire in the Old Testament is often used as a symbol of the presence and action of God. I mean, that's what, that's what you see. The fire lapped up the water. It's, it's the presence and action of God. The Lord our God, it says, is a consuming fire. It also says God is love. Now these aren't contradictory terms. Now hear me here. These aren't contradictory terms. That's what we think. Sometimes God is mad. Sometimes He's angry. And, and you know, He's going to do all. And, and then if we can do enough stuff, we can change His mind. These aren't contradictory terms. That God is a consuming fire and God is love. They're complementary terms. The love of God and the wrath of God are the, are, are the same thing described from opposite points of view. Let me say that again. The love of God, the love of God, and the wrath of God are the same thing described from opposite points of view. How we experience it depends on the way we, we come up against it. Why? Because God doesn't change. He doesn't change. It's man's moral state that changes. We must be changed. We must be conformed into His image. Now the wrath of God is a figure of speech to denote God's unchanging opposition to sin. He doesn't say, oh, I can't believe you did that. His set being is against sin. His set being is against unrighteousness, against unholiness, against unlove. That's his set being. He doesn't just, I mean, he doesn't get mad. He, he, do you see what I'm saying here? His set being is against wrong. I mean, that's, that's, that's what the wrath means. And, and what is that? It's His righteous love, His holy passion operating to destroy evil. To destroy evil. We'll see this later on as he, as he comes into the land. You know, the men run and hide. Rocks fall on us. Hide us from the wrath to come. What are they looking at? This, the same view that Adam had. He, I was afraid. God said... Who told you you was naked? Adam had believed the lie. And he ran and hid. And men are still doing it today because of these eyes of the flame of fire. 
Because it's the way we've been taught to view God. This God who is a consuming fire. But God who is also love. And nothing can live in that devouring flame that is of the nature of the lie or wars against the spirit of holiness. Nothing can survive in that flame that is the adversary of God. That is unloved. Told you that's the fire that, that purifies. It gets rid of the dross. The dross is everything that is of the lie. We'll just say it that way. You know, and uh, let me go over there and get that uh, verse. Malachi 3.2, we've read it many times before. But who may abide the day of his coming? Who may abide? Who can stand this? Who shall stand when he appeareth? John couldn't stand. I mean, I mean, this one who comes to judge and to make war. When John saw him for who he was with these eyes of fire, we'll get down to it. He fell on his face as dead. But this one laid his hand on him and said, Oh, John, you know, get up. I'm he that, behold, I'm he that liveth and was dead. Behold, I'm alive forevermore. Peter, when Peter saw the eyes of fire, he went out and wept bitterly. Who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. A refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. Two things to purify, to clean. He comes in to purify and to clean. And he shall sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. That's redemption. See, that tells me right there that every silver's redemption, the whole tabernacle, uh, the, all the sockets were, were silver. That speaks of redemption. That was the, the, the money that was paid, 30 pieces of silver. Redemption. It, it gives me this picture that everything he's doing with these eyes of fire, with this God as a consuming fire, the wrath of God is redemptive. Get a hold of that. Everything he does is redemptive. He doesn't just say, oh, I'm ticked off at you, I'm mad at you, I'm burning you up. He said, I sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Eyes of fire. Holy passion. Out to destroy evil. Holy passion. That's what the cross was, wasn't it? Out to destroy evil. What was the evil? We had believed the lie. That God, God was mean. And he says right here on the cross, look, I forgive you. I'm giving my life so that you may have life. I've come to restore you. I've come to bring you to the Father. Look, I'm not who you think I am. I'm telling you. All of this stuff that's going on, evil won't have the last word. Righteousness will. Sorrow won't have the last word. Joy will. Hate won't have the last word. Love wins. When the love of God, get this, when the love of God is shed abroad in the heart, in your heart, heaven is there. When any other spirit is Dominant in the heart. Hell is there. It's not a place over there or a place over there. It begins here. 
Can you imagine when Jesus said you were, he told the Jews, these descendants of Abraham, you are of your father, the devil. What did he mean by that? It means they had become one with the lie. They had believed the lie that, that God was me. They would have nothing to do with Jesus. I mean, Jesus went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, and they crucified him. I mean, he's given sight to the blind. He's raising the dead. And they said, we'll not have this man rule over. Caesar's our king. God doesn't change. We are changed by his eternal fire. Now let me go back to Peter a second. I just want to show you something here. When Peter wrote, I want you to get this picture. When Peter wrote his epistles, there was the tabernacle was still standing. They had the big brass altar, the priesthood. They had the feast still going on. Now over here you had these apostles preaching Jesus. Now in the middle here, that's why we have the book of Hebrews, and the Gentiles were coming in, and you had some Jews that were believing. But the Jews, they didn't know which way to go. I mean, we've had this. This came from Moses. We know God gave it to us. This tabernacle was so beautiful, and the altar, and the priesthood, and the feast. And now you're telling me that this is Christ and believe on Him, that all these other things were a shadow pointing to Him, the Gentiles. So all these things were going on at the same time. Let me, let me back up here. Um, so Peter wrote this in, in 2 Peter chapter 3. Um, Verse 6, whereby the world that then was, he's going all the way back to Noah. The world that then was being overflowed with water perished. Okay, so he's saying that, that world up to Noah was destroyed. But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved Unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Reserved unto fire. Now he says, I'm just trying to show you something here. Peter was writing to those people. He says, the heavens and the earth which are now. So there was a world up to Noah. It was destroyed. And now Peter says, now there's another heavens and an earth. All through the Old Testament, sing, O heavens, rejoice, O earth. It, he was talking about the, the, the Old Covenant. To them, it wasn't an Old Covenant. It was the Covenant. It wasn't old until the New Covenant, the, the person of the New Covenant himself, resurrected. Jesus came once in the end of the world to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He came, there, there it was, these two worlds going on at the same time. Just like in us. Reserved unto fire against the day of judgment. Now what's the day of judgment? These eyes of fire. And perdition of ungodly men. I told you he comes to judge and to make war. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. That one day with the Lord is as a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
He's not here to destroy you. But to destroy the evil. The taskmaster that has enslaved you. How can I say that? How can I say that you've, you've been in uh, slave? Jesus said, he that sins is the servant of sin. Paul talks about it in Romans, how we were the slaves of sin. If we're a slave of sin, it means we have an evil taskmaster. So he's coming to destroy that. Not willing that you should perish. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Now you see, remember I told you the same fire of God, the same fire of God that's love and passion is also the same fire that's a wrath of God. But which one are you coming to? I mean, what is your, what is your view here? See, to some people, they, they despise God. They hate God. He's mean, evil, vindictive. Oh, but to some, He's so loving and compassionate and merciful. So to those who view God in this way, wanting to cling on to the old, he comes how? As a thief into the night, I got to ask you, a thief comes but to do what? Kill, steal, and destroy. He called the devil a thief, and now he's saying the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Is he comparing himself to the devil who comes to steal? No, it's your perspective. What view are you seeing him from? See, to those Called over here, it's as a thief. In which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. And the elements shall melt with fervent heat. And the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all of these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God. Wherein the heavens being on fire. Same fire. Same fire. These, the eyes, the flame of fire. There's not a different fire. The heavens being on fire shall, shall be dissolved. And the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Elements. That's the same word. You go look it up. The same word for all the articles used in the temple. All of those things would be burnt up. And you know, naturally speaking, when the Roman general Titus marched in and Jesus told him in, 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 in Matthew 24 that they would come in to destroy the temple and they would not be one stone left upon another. And I'm telling you, when the king of kings comes marching into his inheritance, he comes to judge and to make war and he does it with eyes of fire. He comes right into us. Let me get back on this. All who are members of the corporate son of man have the eyes of fire. The judgment of God is in their eyes for they judge as they see by the Spirit. Peter, the same guy I just told you about, says judgment begins at the house of God and the saints shall judge the world even as Christ now judges his people. Fire devours. What does it devour? Fire devours. What does it devour? It devours the veil. The veil that conceals Christ in our life. And when the veil is consumed, we see Him as He is. And reality, truth, 
breaks forth. That's what this book of Revelation is. John is seeing. John's reality a moment ago was changed. The Isle of Patmos. I'm in exile. I'm a prisoner. And now he's beholding one like into the Son of Man. And these eyes of fire. These eyes of fire that penetrated into John. That caused him to fall on his face as dead. That fire burns up the veil and we see him as he is. And John also wrote, when we see him as he is, we'll be like him. Because we'll see him as he is. Let me give you a couple verses here. I got to hurry. I hope I ain't boring you. Um, forgot where it's going. Proverbs. Proverbs 15, verse 2. I don't know if I wrote that down right. The tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools, oh yeah, poureth out foolishness. The eyes of the Lord, verse 3, are in every place beholding the evil and the good. Proverbs. Uh, let me back up here. Uh, let's look what Elihu said to Job. Job 36, verse 7. He withdraweth not his eyes from the righteous, but with kings are they on the throne. Yea, he doeth establish them forever. Forever, and they are exalted. He withdraweth not his eyes from the righteous. Uh, let's look at uh, Psalms. Psalms 11. A few verses here. Verse 4 and 5. The Lord is in his holy temple. Does the scripture not say that you are the temple of the Lord? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. Now, if the Lord is in his temple, on his throne, but it says it's in heaven, did Jesus not say that the kingdom of heaven is within you? Now here, this is a psalm of David writing this 1,500 years before Jesus came along. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold His eyelids try the children of men. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence his soul hateth. Back to those eyes. His eyes behold. His eyelids try. What are they? Eyes of fire. David is seeing it. Psalm 139. Verse uh, 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the, ever, in, in the way everlasting. David wasn't saying, oh, Lord, you want to find somebody right? Look at me, man. I'm pure. That wasn't what David was saying. Uh, He asked God to examine his life and and to show him. 
Self-inspection is futile. That's why we're, um, to compare yourself among yourselves is, is futile. <laughs> Foolishness. Self-inspection. What do I mean by self-inspection? We will always protect those things that need to go to the cross. Paul said, reckon them dead. We miss things. We gloss over things. Over, I mean, you know, always. We, we practice self-justification. It's in our nature. Adam, that's his very nature. That's why he comes to judge and to make war. But David says, search me, O God. See, if God does the searching, his eyes are sharp. His judgment is true. I don't know if uh, any of you guys have flew on a plane lately, been to the airport. Maybe you have. You know, those, those agents will take some of those bags and they will take them apart and they will look at them and they will unfold the socks and take out the underwear and, and, and take everything out of there. I mean, it's, some people are humiliated, everything laid out, run a thing through an x-ray machine. Now, the people that they're doing that to are humiliated. They hate it. But David here is coming to the coming to God and saying, here, search me. Look in every nook and cranny. Seek, search my heart, God. Look. Make a thorough search. Look with the eyes of fire. Man, he was a man after God's own heart. See, these eyes of fire, he discerns behind all our masks. But let me tell you something. He's not vindictive. For he's the king of of a burning passion of love. And when we fail, he understands. Get this. Why? Because he knows what's in man. He made you. He knows our weakness. Yet he won't be complacent towards us. This is the one who's walking in the midst of the candlesticks. The one who can't let it go. The one who, who, who must. We must be conformed to his image. He never sleeps, never slumbers. The one who possesses all the wisdom of the ages and an unconditional love by which he judges. See, it's better to be like David and, and invite him in to do his work of amputation, dispossession. If we can't cut off the offending member, let's look to him to rid us of it. I hope you get that. There's absolutely no way we can keep anything from God. I mean, even when Jesus walked here, he knew what was in man. To every church, he writes, I know thy works. Yet this wonderful work of the eyes of fire is not vengeful, destructive work, but that of redeeming the silver, redeeming, transforming love. The problem is we don't trust it. We've been taught to be afraid. Our very nature, red face, to withhold. Now, I've made a little caption there. Your enjoyment of this book will depend on what you believe about the fire flame of his eyes. And unless you can perceive that the fire is pure, unadulterated love, the love which God is, you'll likely miss some of the most vital things intended to be conveyed by the book of Revelation. 
If you consider the flaming fire, the two-edged sword of his mouth, the face uh, which is the sun shining in its strength, has been destructive, been on killing you, you've missed all there is. You, you, you've missed about all there is of value. That fire of his eyes, face shining as the sun in its strength. Describe a being likened unto a son of man whose spirit, soul, and body are completely possessed by the eternal Spirit of God, which is the Holy Spirit. That eternal Spirit, which is love. Love that this world so desperately needs. See, a lot of times, and when we talked about this, and I'm, I'm getting ready to close. People come to church and they want strictly love without the judgment. Well, let me tell you something. Even in this book right here, judgment comes before grace. There can be no grace except there first be judgment. What do I mean by that? The judgment of the world fell upon Jesus. And the scripture says where sin abounded. Where did sin abound? Sin abounded upon Jesus on the cross. Because all of the sin of the world, past, present, future, abounded on him. In the judgment of God. And it says in that same thing. Where sin abounded. Grace did much more abound. You can't have one without the other. You see, when the judgment came to Peter, and Peter went out and wept bitterly. When Jesus rose from the dead, he told Mary, Go tell my disciples and Peter that I have risen. Judgment, he wept bitterly. Grace, I have risen. God bless you all. And uh, again, I'll say, for those on, uh, watching on YouTube or even on Facebook, share this video, man. Put it out. Help us out. Try to get this out there. If you like this content, hit the like button. Hit the share button. If you're on YouTube, hit that subscribe button. And stay tuned with us. God bless you. And we'll see you guys next week.